Let's begin with a word of prayer, shall we? Lord, we thank you for the opportunity of, as we have done this morning, a little bit reflecting over um, the year and the ways in which you have worked in the hearts of your people, the way in which you um, brought a, a group of people together and put on them the, the burden of, of uh, the need to start a church in this area. And uh, Lord, we've been able to reflect over six months of uh, your hand at work, and we praise you, Lord, for what you've done. And Lord, today and in this year, Lord, would you have your way with us? Would you accomplish your purpose through us? And Lord, would we work hard at being the church, at being your people, at being your disciples, and growing and being strong in your word, and uh, allowing the gospel to to infiltrate every area of our lives so that we would truly be knowing it, applying it, and proclaiming it for your glory. And I ask that this morning, uh, with this very important text of Scripture, Lord, that you would allow me as your messenger to simply be your mouthpiece and that you would have your way with us, that you would teach us and, and shape us and fashion us according to your will. And Lord, with, with the topic at hand, I, I know that some uh, may be concerned. And I ask, Lord, that you would give us all um, hearts that are willing to, to learn and to listen and to grow. And uh, Lord, would you accomplish your purposes now in your name? Amen. So, um, I decided for the next couple of weeks, we're going to take a break from um, our study through the Gospel of John. And this really is very, very purposeful. Um, in many churches that I pastored, um, periodically at the beginning of a year, I would do somewhat of a series on stewardship. And some of the reasoning behind that is uh, this is an opportunity where we kind of reflect again, we re-kick off things, and we, we consider what God has called us to. And one of the things that God has called all of us to, if we are his children, is to be faithful stewards. And, um, you know, so this morning that's going to be our topic, and uh, next week it's going to be our topic. And I think this will also help us uh, as we uh, gather for our home groups in the next week to talk about some of the specifics about this. And if you look on the back of your handout there, there are some, a couple of scenarios I've listed out for you. We may get to a few of them today, but there's a lot of questions that people have about the area of stewardship, in particular the area of stewardship when it comes to our money and what we do with our money and how we use that money is probably not the kind of topic that you and I sit around with brothers and sisters in Christ and talk about. We're kind of afraid to talk about this subject it's kind of a somewhat of a taboo, so to speak, but it shouldn't be. Uh, this is something that is very important uh, for us to understand and to realize and to allow God to teach us um, not just our, our money, but also our talents and, uh, and how we use our time. And uh, so today we want to we look at the subject of stewardship. So what is stewardship? Well, first of all, um, the stewardship comes from a Greek word, and the Greek word is um, oikonomos. Okay, oikos, which means house, nomos, which means manage, and so you put those two together and you come up with this word, house manager. Um, often it's described as someone who is a caretaker, an overseer, and ultimately that word has become known or understood as being a steward. Okay? Um, now, in biblical times, wealthy people would actually have slaves, um, people that they would, you know, that, that they owned, be responsible for their household. They would be called stewards. Some of them were responsible just for the running of the house. 
And that would mean all the details of buying and purchasing and arranging and preparing for any activity that would be happening. Some of it would, would be uh, 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 the oversight of the education of the children that were part of that house. And sometimes it would also be um, the kind of uh, oversight that would um, really entail just the finances of what was going on. So it was, it was a delegated responsibility to be a steward of that household. Let's look at a couple of examples of how this word is used um, in Scripture. And it's used to describe a number of different ways or areas of stewardship. First of all, we have Joseph. Joseph, as you remember, was an overseer or a steward in Potiphar's house. And uh, Genesis 39, verse 6 says this, So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, this is Potiphar, and because of him he had no concern about anything um, but the food he ate. So all of his resources, everything that he had was left to the responsibility of Joseph. I mean, that's, there's a lot of trust that you put in someone there, and that means that, that steward has a lot of responsibility on his shoulders too, right? That was Joseph. Then Paul, in 1 Corinthians 4.1, it says this, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Paul is encouraging us and desiring for us to recognize him and the apostles as stewards of the mysteries of God. They are responsible for the outworking of the things of God, carrying out his ministry, establishing churches, ministering the gospel, accomplishing God's will that he has delegated to them. Okay? Peter then tells us um, in uh, verse 10 of 1 Peter 4, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So all of us have been given a gift or gifts, and God calls us to use those gifts as stewards of his uh, manifold, his varying, all different kinds of graces. So it can be the money that you have, it could be the gifts that you have, it could be the spiritual gifts that you have, it could be um, the, uh, the resources that you have in all different shapes and forms. God says, listen, you are, you are a steward of all these gifts that I've given you. So let's think then about a little bit more of a definition of stewardship. We're thinking big picture first of all here, and uh, Here's one I think is very helpful. Stewardship is the management of my God-given resources for the glory of God and the benefit of others. So that word resources is really broad, right? It covers a lot of territory. So it's not just talking about money. It's talking about what you, use, what you do with your time. It's talking about other areas of, of, of resources that you may have. Um, your gifts. Some of you... You know, this, this comes out in conversation, and it's almost like, oh, don't let that out. But some of you play instruments that you want no one to know anything about. It's a gift. And we might talk about that next week. You know, you probably went out and you buried that gift, you know, in some place, and you don't want anyone to know about it, right? And yet, is it possible that God wants to use that gift for his glory, for the furthering of his kingdom, Okay. Um, these are resources for the glory of God and the benefit of others. Now, more specifically, as we look at this, stewardship is the wise and biblical use of our time, talents, and money. 
God has given us <clears throat> and blessed us with time. You only have so much of it, right? That's why you get up at 5 and you go to bed at 1, right? Because you want to maximize your time. Well, time also includes sleep, and we have to manage our whole lives. And so God is concerned about that. It is a gift that he's given to you that he expects you to manage and to be a good steward of. He's given you gifts. Some of you are gifted with mechanics. You know that I am not, okay? Some of you are gifted being handymen or handy women in various forms. I am not. I dabble at things and then I call someone, right? Um, some people are gifted on the computer. Some people are, you know, are gifted at typing and some are gifted at sports. So whatever it might be, they're all different kind of gifts and skills that God has given people. There, 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 there is just a variety of them, but whatever he's given you, you are responsible before him to be a steward of. And so this also includes your money, your money. Listen to what, um, and, and money is going to be the focus of our time here this morning, but listen to what Ron Blue says. This is actually in your bulletin. It was the quote that I put there in your bulletin if you want to follow along. Um, you can't fake stewardship, he says. Your checkbook reveals all that you really believe about stewardship. A life story could be written from a checkbook. It reflects your goals, priorities, convictions, relationships, and even the use of your time. A person who has been a Christian even for a short while can fake prayer, Bible study, evangelism, and going to church, and so on, but he can't fake what his checkbook reveals. Okay? Now, hear this at the beginning. There are no gateway police, okay? There's no gateway IRS agents that are right now, because you're here in your homes, digging out your checkbooks and your records. That is not taking place. What we're talking about today is really for your soul and for your conscience and for your growth and your purposes to be faithful before him with the resources that he's given you. And so understand, when you read a quote like this, look at yourself and look at what your checkbook would reveal to God or to others about what is important to you. Okay? And I, I think Ron Blue is right on the money there. I think it's very, very helpful. Now, I know it's very, very likely also that someone has come here today and they said, you know, it figures. I was just waiting to find out how long it would be before Pastor Rod would talk on money, right? He's a preacher. Preachers always talk about money. That's all they want. Listen, that's, that's not the case at all. And I, I want you to understand that that is not the case. Why this subject? Let me answer this question in the negative. Why, why is it that I am not teaching this subject? What's in, this is, these are not the reasons why I'm teaching on this today. It's not because our, our, our church is having money problems. This past month, we gathered as gatekeepers and even as our, our official board of directors, which is more a, a thing before the state, and we, we reflected over how God has provided over the, the course of this year and that we are is it about $50,000, $55,000 ahead of the game, so to speak, with the resources we have. Is that about right? Okay. Um, God is blessed. God has provided in, in incredible ways. And if you look back over the last six months, God has, has provided 
just with some special gifts that have helped us to, to kind of uh, kickstart what we're doing here. Um, God has been very, very good to us. So it's not about the fact that we have money problems, right? So it wasn't like, oh, no, money's tight. You better preach on stewardship. That's not the issue here, right? Secondly, it's not because I am pursuing a raise, okay? It's not, okay? It's not the goal here, all right? It's not because I or someone else in leadership is planning a trip to the Bahamas that I know of anyway, all right? At least the church isn't paying for that, all right? We're not, there, there's, there's no underhanded reason here. Now, I realize when we're talking about money, if you look at, at the broad spectrum of Christendom, you do see a lot of abuse, right? You hear about it, it is out there. Now, we then may be tempted to say, well, let's, you know, let's not talk about money because people might get the wrong idea. My feeling is then we need to talk about money so that we can teach what is true and right and biblical and that honors God so that we don't even have any any option of going in that direction because it's very, very clear that we are going to avoid that at all costs, right? More reason to teach the truth about how we use our money. So why am I teaching on this subject of stewardship or of giving? First of all, understand it's my job to teach you all of God's word. Um, <clears throat> a passage of scripture that would be helpful there would be Acts 20 and verse 27 where Paul told the Ephesian elders, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He didn't shrink back. He wasn't afraid to talk about something that may be controversial or something that to some people was offensive. I don't have that privilege. If it's in God's word, I have the responsibility of making sure that God's people are aware of that. And this subject of stewardship and the subject of money is somewhat touchy, it doesn't matter to God. It still needs to be taught, okay? It's my job. It's my responsibility. And quite honestly, the people that typically complain about anyone teaching about money are pe people typically who don't give, right? Um, so just, just, you know, keep that in your mind. It's my responsibility to preach and to teach all of God's Word. Secondly, because you've been gracious givers already, the point is this. The best time to teach on this so that people aren't wondering why you're teaching on this is when God's people are being faithful and God's people are demonstrating their graciousness. And I would add to that, God has provided for us in lots of different ways, right? Now, let me just step back and just remind you, the fact that we are in this facility and the fact that, honestly, we don't pay that much for this facility is a huge blessing that God has given this church. Did you know that? I mean, we may have now taken it for granted that we have this facility. Yeah, there's a lot of setup, there's a lot of tear down, but I tell you what, this is wonderful for what we're trying to do. It really is exactly what we need, and we need to praise God for his goodness there, okay? And like I mentioned earlier, the resources that, that are coming in fi from a financial perspective are just a, a, a healthy, um, consistent income that God has provided to make sure that we can meet those needs. God has provided um, also a little space that, that I can call an office home, and it's a blessing. And while God provides it, we, you know, we rejoice over that. All right, so there's lots of different things we could look over and say, you know what, these are all the things that God has done. All right, this is a good opportunity then to say, then what do we do with our finances? How do we handle them? What honors God? All right, the third thing is this. It is my desire in being responsible to number one to make sure that number three is true, to produce 
growth toward maturity. My desire as your pastor is to help you mature in your walk with God. And one of the ways that you can mature, that you can grow, is in the wise and biblical use of your resources, and in particular today, your money. Now, notice the verse that's there. Paul is saying to the Philippian church, listen, not that I seek the gift, talking about money, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm not after personally the gift. I'm after the blessing that you will receive because you're being faithful to God and honoring him with the gift. Now, I could personally tell you of a number of situations or circumstances in, in my life as a father, as a husband, where it's been important for me and for my wife to make sure that we are giving faithfully to God and we've come to a place where it's like, you know what, money's tight, but we're going to give. And so we give faithfully. We give uh, you know, what you might consider a tithe. and We'll get to that in just a little bit. And we say we're going to trust God even though things are tight. And lo and behold, God has been at work in other ways and he provides for our need. Now, I can't explain that as far as a formula is concerned and you know, as far as, you know, this is exactly how it works. All I know is being faithful to God means that God will somehow meet your needs in his timing, in his way that will just stun you. Sometimes it is literally going out to the mailbox and pulling out a letter and here's someone you haven't talked to in years who's sending you a check. Now, some of you could probably testify of similar things. Because you have established these truths in your life, in your walk with God, you've been faithful to him, it's amazing how he has provided for you in times of need and times of struggle. Okay? And that might be a good discussion to have. But friends, it's important to recognize that, that growth toward maturity in your walk with God includes how you use uh, or how you are faithful to this, this responsibility of being a steward, and in particular with your money. So, before we move uh, to the actual text, I want you to note a couple of things. Number one, stewardship and lordship are inseparably linked. You can't remove lordship from stewardship. All right, let me ask you a question. Is Jesus Lord? All right? All right. Do you make Jesus Lord? Absolutely not. He is Lord, right? You say, well, you know, I, I made Jesus Lord of my life. No, you didn't. He was already Lord of your life. You just submitted to his lordship, right? And that's the language we use in Christian culture that is actually very detrimental to say, you know, I, I got saved and I made Jesus Lord of my life. No, you didn't. You got saved and he is Lord. Now you just came to the realization that he needs to be that Lord and master and that you need to humble yourself before him. Well, that's what salvation is ultimately. And this area then of stewardship is inseparably linked to that. He says, I'm master. Everything you have is what? He would say, mine. It's all mine, and I now want you to be a faithful steward of it. All right? Lordship and stewardship are inseparably linked. The second thing is this. There's three worldviews of economics. I'm being very, very broad here. There's probably lots of nuances here, but you'll get the point. First one, communism, where the state owns everything, right? You really don't own it. The collective owns it. Then there is the next one. I know some of you are going to get angry with me here. Capitalism. The individual owns everything. Now, if you happen to be in, you know, some 
tent meeting, and I mean in the occupy sense, um, uh, they, they would impose not the individual owns everything, but the corporation owns everything, right? Now, understand communism and its various forms of that, socialism would lead off of that, right? Capitalism, both of those run contrary to the principles of God's word. They, they, they both have a negative, sinful end to them, right? Communism is, is this whole collective, um, but you really have no rights and responsibilities, and you don't get a fair wage for work and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's a lot more to it. Capitalism, boy, there's a lot of selfishness. There is a lot of greed that can be involved in that, right? So that they all have ways in which you can fall off into the ditch. Here's the last one. Christianity, God owns everything. Now, you see the difference there. You see how Christianity and capitalism can compete, right? So we, we must recognize here that God's view of economics is, hey, it's all mine. And all of it is mine, but I've given you the responsibility to be a steward of it. All right? So um, it may seem strange to look at it this way, but that is what Scripture teaches us. So let's look at our passage, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4, and let's ask ourselves the question, what does this teach us about giving, or the practice of our giving, or how we are to give? First of all, um, there is a purpose that is expressed here by Paul. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. So he's saying here this. You had a question, apparently, and I'm going to answer that question. The book of 1 Corinthians, if you remember, is a book that is answering a lot of questions, right? It is responding to things that he has heard, and it's answering a lot of questions. There is in chapter 7, he talks about now concerning marriage and purity. Um, in chapter 8, now concerning Christian liberty. Chapter 12, now concerning spiritual gifts. Um, in chapter 16, and verse 12, he's talking about Apollos, now concerning him. So th these are questions that have been asked or posed, and he now is responding, and he's answering the questions. So th there must have been some kind of a question that says, what, what about this whole thing about giving or this collection that we have for the saints? Aha, Paul says, now, in the list of things that I'm checking off that I need to write you about, we're going to talk about this right now. So now concerning the collection for the saints. As I directed the churches of Galatia, so also are, uh, so you also are to do. So just just start out here. Um, this is not a unique message then, just for the Corinthians. It is something that he has already taught another church. So there is there is this kind of consistent standard teaching that he is giving here to the Corinthian church. You see that there. He gave it to the Galatians. He's now also giving it to the Corinthians. And I'm sure if the church at Ephesus asked the same question, he'd be giving that instruction to them too. Here's standard teaching on the subject of giving and the collection for the saints. Now, it's interesting that he uses the word collection. He doesn't use a word uh, or a number of words that he could use that would have a little bit more of a, of a tax mindset. This is a collection. This is a... Uh, we use the word offering to kind of describe the fact that, it's, that it's, it's, uh, it's, it's something that we do voluntarily, it's something we do as worship. Um, but it's interesting that Paul uses this word and it's translated a number of different ways in our Bibles. And let me just kind of rattle these off. In verse 3, 
um, of uh, 1 Corinthians here, uh, he describes it as a gift. In 2 Corinthians 8, 7, it's called an act of grace. In 2 Corinthians 8, 4, it is described as a relief. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 12 and 13, is described as a service. Romans um, 15 and verse 25 is described as an aid. All right? And then 1526 of Romans is described as a contribution. So all of those descriptions really stay away from this whole idea of this being some kind of a tax, some kind of a, a, a hard and fast, uh, might want to say legalistic thing. Okay? It's a collection. It's, a, it's, a, um, you know, it's an aid. It's a relief. It's voluntary. It's part of uh, the church's responsibility, but, but it's not as you might, we might move on, we will, what was kind of established by the law of the Old Testament. Different language, different purpose here. Okay? And it's clear that Paul cared um, about uh, God's people, in particular Galatians 2, 7 through 10, and Acts 11, um, talk there about Paul desiring to help those who are poor, those who are suffering, because the people had been experiencing persecution. And that persecution wasn't simply persecution relating to their life. Uh, it was persecution that affected their businesses, that affected their livelihood. So they were poor. They were, they were you know, without much resources themselves. And, and still, he is giving these instructions to the believers that are out there that are living in that kind of circumstance. We're not we're not talking here about people who are rolling in the dough. We're talking about people who are struggling, who are under persecution, who are still trying to figure out what is going on, who are probably pilgrims uh, who had you know, gone for Pentecost, that's particular in the, the passage I mentioned there in, in Acts 11, uh, who are staying, who now are trying to find a place to live and can't find work. You know, there's a lot of struggles going on, and yet he gives us this instruction concerning um, the collection for the saints. The saints there are the ones who are suffering, and the saints are the ones that are also going to be gathering this collection. So the purpose of our giving ultimately is this. It's to help meet the needs of the saints. You say, well, okay, um, that's good. What does that mean? The primary purpose of our giving is to help meet the needs of the saints or to help meet the needs of the church. The church would be the saints gathered together as a local body. So as a Christian, our, our first obligation, your first obligation is to support fellow believers individually and corporately. And the church, uh, church's first financial responsibility, get this, is to invest in its own life and its own people. Now, Certainly, Scripture also instructs us to invest and to care and to support those who are poor, those who are needy, um, those who are um, you know, in, in very difficult circumstances, regardless of their religion, right? But primarily here, the gift is being collected for the saints. So on a practical level, when you come to church on Sunday and you give money in the offering plate, that money then, in turn, has been established by a budget, but the idea there is so that it can be used for the furthering of God's purposes through that church. The training and teaching that is necessary, 
the needs that need to be met, the opportunities for growth and maturity, a lot of different things are all part of that, but it's all being fleshed out through the church uh, primarily. Secondarily, though, we do have the idea of, hey, there is this thing called missions, and that missions can be local, it can be global, it can be directed at other believers, it can also be directed at people who are lost, it can be directed at people that are just, it's purely a, a mercy ministry. That would be like, you know, some kind of a food shelter, um, a soup kitchen or something like that. It's pure, ministry, uh, pure mercy ministry, but it isn't necessarily directed at the saints. But we can build that into the structure of a budget. But the primary purpose of giving is to help meet the needs of the saints. Now, as a church, we, we need to realize a couple of things. The importance of maintaining the health of the flock. I mean, how, how, this, is, this is ultimately your family. The church gathered together is like a second family to you. It is the place where you're getting fed spiritually. It is the group of people that you're going to be turning to in times of difficulty and need for prayer, for help and support. Um, it is the group that you are going to be leaning on when you are uh, maybe going through some times of health issues or financial struggle. It is the place where you exercise your spiritual gifts. It is the place where you, you, you grow and, and, and your life is, is being fleshed out for others to see. It is, it is this wonderful, wonderful gathering of believers that, that is something more than simply a, a gathering. It is a family. It is a a, a group of people that are knit together and, and uh, are desiring to, to live their lives to the glory of God together. As a church, however, um, there are those other endeavors that we talked about. So, so the primary purpose then of giving is to help, the meet, to help meet the needs of the saints. The second thing here then is this. We have this purpose, but there is a pattern that Paul gives us here that helps us understand then how do we do this? How does this take place? And this is where we'll spend most of our time this morning. It says in verse 2, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So the question now is going to be, all right, who is he talking about? We talk about the pattern of giving here. Who is he talking about in particular? Well, in verse 1, it talks about the churches. Um, in verse 2, it talks about each of you. Now, it's really important for us to see that each of you, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're old or young, whether you are a new believer, a mature believer, whether you are a slave or free, and hopefully we don't have that distinction here, okay? Um, in, in Paul's day, those are all realities and possibilities. Each one of you, each one of you is to be putting something aside and storing it up. This is our responsibility, right? Someone has said this, training in giving happens more at the kitchen table than in the church pew. And what he means by that is that training in giving happens with children as they grow up. You know, son, I'm going to give you some pocket money. And it might start out real small. 50 cents or a dollar. And when you get that dollar, here's what I want you to do with it. The first 10% goes to God. And so as parents, you're establishing this principle. This first 10% goes to God. All right? 
just right from the top. Don't even think about having a whole dollar that you're going to spend. And when you get a dollar, just think, I've got 90 cents. Because that first 10 cents is God's. When you start thinking about the whole dollar, what happens? You start thinking of ways to spend it. And it's harder to set it aside, right? But if you start there at the kitchen table, if you start young and you start it small, it grows up and um, those who are responsible to be faithful to God here will have that habit established. Okay? So each believer has a responsibility to give to God. It is all his. Secondly, how? It says to put aside, to store up, and to do it every week. Now, in that context, that's the instructions that Paul was giving. Um, we, we shift the focus here to 2012. Um, that's the first time I've said 2012 in a sermon, just so you know that, all right? 2012 now, all right? And basically the idea here is, is systematically setting um, money aside, um, storing it up, and then being able to um, give that um, at a particular period of time. But let's just establish a couple of, uh, of different kinds of giving, all right, just to begin with here. Um, there's need-based giving. Need-based giving is, you know, I might come to you on a Sunday morning and say, hey, listen, such and such is going on. There's a particular ministry endeavor. There's a particular struggle. And we're going we're gonna to collect an offering for that particular need. Okay, that's one kind of thing. Call that a love offering. All right? Then there's what you might call habit-based giving, regular offerings. And really what we're focusing on here is a habit-based giving. Now, Paul is addressing a need for the saints. But it's a need that he's going to collect way down the road, right? And he's saying, here's how I want you to be prepared for it. All right? Every week, put some money aside. You store it up. And by the way, that is in the Greek tense where it's continual action. It is a, it is a choice to establish the habit of setting aside and storing it up every week. Now, the reality is I know here in 2012, some of you guys get paid every week. Some of you get paid every two weeks. Some of you get paid every month. Some of you don't get paid at all, all right? Um, the point is, as you are getting that income, um, then set it aside, whatever that portion is, store it up, and be ready to give it at that appropriate time. All right, Paul is instructing them then to do this, to develop the habit of planned and systematic giving. Now, I think what George Mueller has to say next, and I'll just read it, is helpful for us. Um, George Mueller, of course, um, great uh, uh, missionary endeavor, trusted God, very, very well known for being the kind of Christian leader that prayed, um, prayed in the resources to, to provide for his ministry. He says this, are you giving systematically to the Lord's work or are you leaving it to feeling, to impression made upon you through particular circumstances or to striking appeals? If we do not give from principle systematically, we shall find that our one brief life is gone before we are aware of it and that in return we have done little for that adorable one, that would be Christ, who bought us with his precious blood, and to whom belong all we have and are. Now, I think it's important to listen to his distinction there. He says, 
Are you leaving it to feeling, to impression made upon you through particular circumstances? That's one side. Or are you, are you giving based on a principle of systematically setting money aside? Those are two different approaches. Now, um, understand what he's saying then is that giving is not a matter of the Spirit's leading. In other words, I just kind of felt like the Spirit was telling me to give today. Well, that may happen. You may believe that the Holy Spirit is directing you to give, but that's one side of giving. The other side that's being talked about here is this practical, systematic, habitual giving. Now, the other thing is sometimes, sometimes you've seen it on TV. Hopefully, you don't see it anymore. But you see, or maybe you've been in circumstances where a pastor is up and he's pleading for you to give. And he's crying and he's weeping and he's trying to really ultimately manipulate you so that you will give money for a particular need, right? We don't want that. That's not how we want to raise money. That's not how we want to be giving our money. But we can be moved by something like that. So the point is don't, don't allow your, you know, just this, this whim or this, this feeling to overcome you, but establish the systematic habitual practice of giving. Now, I will say this. There are times when we may present something to you that will be a particular need. And it may be gut-wrenching. And it may have some emotional response. The idea, though, for us is not to simply try and move you emotionally, but for you to consider before God, is this something that God wants me to do? Okay? We want to be very, very careful with that. And so those are, those are unique situations where there's love offerings and then there's this habitual standard giving. So ultimately, uh, there's, a, there's a choice that you have here to make this a habit in your life. Let's look at the next thing, when and where. Well, it says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. On the first day of the week, you say, well, okay, what's significant about that? Understand this, that our worship in giving doesn't just happen on Sunday. Our worship in giving begins when that paycheck comes to us. And we've already established that that, whatever it is, is going to be set aside for God. Your worship in giving is taking place right then. When you come to church on Sunday, if that is how you choose to give, is the time in which you're actually handing over that gift. And that worship continues. But that is not the only time it takes place. It's really something that takes place in your heart when that money is realized in your account. Or in your hand, or in your pocket. Okay? Sunday, the first day of the week, is the day when it is collected. So, we have already been worshiping with our money. Now we gather as a body to give together. They knew when they were to give, and they knew where it was going to take place. It was when the church was gathered. So in other words, their giving was not only personal, because they personally had to make a choice and set these things aside, but it was also corporate. And there was something about a church gathering together and when the offering basket is passed, it's not just, okay, the offering basket is passed. There's something corporate and beautiful about a church saying, this is important to you, God. These are all your resources, but we freely and willfully and delighting in you give these resources for your glory, for your purposes, as your stewards. 
So we're putting aside and we're storing up as a church and through the church. Now, get this. They weren't as Christians going off on their own, doing their own thing. They were partnering with their local body. Now, let me just encourage you. One of the things that was interesting for my wife and I as we were, might want to say, sojourning um, after um, I, I, I left another ministry and we didn't have a particular church home was how are we going to be faithful to this systematic giving? And so we, we just had our own little kind of formula and did certain things that we were doing during that time. And some of you, I think, probably had some similar things going on there because we wanted to be faithful to the giving, but we didn't have a particular church body that we were giving to. And so we established this mechanism to make sure that we were being faithful to it. And there was great joy in doing that as we went different places. But then as the church here started, we said, okay, you know what? That has to come to an end, and we have to invest now those resources in the body that we are now participating in and part of. Now, there, there's a caution, and I've seen this um, you know, throughout, throughout my ministry in various churches where people say, hey, we give, but we have places that we want to give to. Okay? Um, you know, that's something you have to wrestle with God about, but... I just want to encourage you, if you have lots of money going other places that you might consider to be your tithe, I would ask you to reconsider and, and, and prioritize your church as being the place that everything begins, and then above and beyond that, you have freedom to do what you want with it. Now, that's, that's just a practical instruction for you. Um, you know, we, we definitely live in an individualistic kind of culture, and even in the church, this is true. But there's something about the corporate nature of our giving that is beautiful, I believe, before God. Okay. Um, now the question is what? You say, okay, now this is where it really gets rough, right? On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. It literally means to lead along a good road, to have a good journey as God is prospering you, as he is blessing you, as you are receiving income, you might want to say, um, from God in whatever way, shape, or form that might be. Now, let's just think about uh, this principle fleshed out in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there were required, by the Mosaic law, three tithes. Now, some of you might say, you know what, I've always been a tithing Christian. And I would say, well, maybe, maybe not. Because if you really want to be a tithing Christian, that means that you would have to follow the Old Testament standard of being a tithing Christian and the Old Testament required three tithes. All right? A tithe, by the way, is a mathematical term that means 10%. The first one is for the government of Israel, 10%. 10% of what you have, you tithe it. It's for the government and the governance of Israel. Secondly, for the public festivals. And I think in your notes you have the passages there that this comes from. Um, 10%. Every year. Then there was another tithe that was providing for the welfare or, or for, for you know, those who were needy, whatever. That was taken every three years. So you had these three tithes, two of them every year, one of them every three years. So in order to be a faithful tither, you would have to give, by the confines of the Old Testament law, how much? Do the math. 23.33 recurring, whatever recurring is, right? So if you want to be a tithing Christian, 
then that means that you're giving 23.33% of your money. Okay? Now, I am getting somewhere here. We're not living in the Old Testament. We're not under the law. Um, that doesn't mean, though, that we abandon anything in the Old Testament. We'll get to that in just a second. What about the New Testament? Call it grace giving. There is no teaching in the New Testament that requires God's people to give 10% of their income. You're not going to find it in the New Testament. Okay? But we have those giving as you prosper or in proportion to your income. Now, it's important though that we that we have a little bit of an understanding of what this, this voluntary giving is in proportion to your income. Listen to these next couple of verses. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, you can read this from the perspective of, you know, ooh, greedy, 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 or you can read this from the perspective of, God, I want to honor you, and the result of honoring you is provision, is blessing, um, is a consistency in life, okay? And that's how I think we need to read this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, then, result, okay, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, this is a proverb, which means it's a general principle. It is not something you stand before God and say, God, I honor you with my wealth, and this year we had a famine. What's up with that? Okay? It's a general principle. Okay? That God will provide, that he will bless you. All right, here's the next one, Proverbs 11:24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Now, this is where the wrestling match is. God, I, I, I know you want me to give as you've prospered me, um, but I have this over here that I, I need to pay for. We usually say, you know, I've got these bills that are out here that I need to pay for, and so I've got to use this. And God, you, you obviously um, you know, care about my family, don't you? And so you want me to make sure I'm caring about my family. And, you know, and, and so we, we label it in terms of bills and bills and bills, but we forget about maybe all the times we went to McDonald's and all the things that we bought for ourselves and all the times that we, you know, we, we don't include those things necessarily. We just kind of look at the bills. And, and the point here is you saw in here first fruits, right? You see here, give freely. Uh, if you withhold... Um, you are going to struggle. I, th I think there is, a, there is a, there's a reciprocal response to our faithfulness in giving and to what happens in our life. Now, you can't connect the dots exactly, but I think in principle, there's some things you need to look at. And that there's some soul searching we may, we, we may all need to, to have based on our giving. What are we giving? How are we giving? What's our attitude toward giving? Are we more concerned about us being in control of it? Or are we more concerned about being faithful stewards, honoring him with the first fruits, and trusting that he will provide? Now, that's a tough place to be, but it does demonstrate whether or not you're willing to be mature or not. All right? Now, there are some that are willing to take advantage of God's grace. We're talking about grace giving still. Who say, since we're under grace, we're not required to give the tithe, and so they give far less. Maybe 
you know, 5%, maybe 2%. It's interesting in churches that I've pastored um, that there is a huge difference between um, people who give significantly and there's a huge gap and then people that might give $50, $100 a year. Huge gap. Which just demonstrates that there are a lot of people that just are not trusting God with their resources. They're just not, they haven't gotten to the place where they've established this habit of giving. And Adrian Rogers, I think, says it well, and I think it's worth listening to. Any Christian that would allow a Jew to do more under the law, in other words, the 10% of the law, than he would under grace is a disgrace to grace. You have been blessed. You have been given freedom. And, you know, you're not even willing to do what they were willing to do in the Old Testament, even while they were under bondage and, you know, the bondage of the law, I might want to say, or the, the confines of the law. Um, interesting thing for us to consider there. I think there's also another way that you can take advantage of the tithe, and that is, let's just say you're the kind of person that has a lot of money. And you give 10% of what you have. Well, maybe you're taking advantage of that word tithe and limiting your giving when it actually should be far more than that. And so you're using this word tithe to be some kind of a, a restriction so you don't have to give anymore, right? Now this is why we're talking in the New Testament about grace giving. Give as God has prospered you. Now, I do think, um, I do think personally that we don't ignore the Old Testament. We see the pattern of the Old Testament of 10% as a good pattern for us here in the New Testament. But we don't come at it from the perspective of being legalistic about it. All right? The point is we can be legalistic with the tithe or we can use it as a rule of thumb. And I would just encourage you to consider whether or not you are giving a tithe, not from the perspective of there is going to be this, this kind of confine that, that says it has to be exactly a tithe. But from the perspective of I get to and I have the freedom to give to God and there's a pattern in the Old Testament established over and over and over again, why shouldn't it be the same thing in the New Testament, at least that, and go above and beyond that even? Okay. And I would just tell you, that's what I've done for years. My wife and I have pursued that. And we rejoice over the fact that we're able to do that. And it's just, it's just a mentality. You have to say, God, this is yours. This is what, you're gonna, you, you, this is what you, you desire. We want to give that. We give above and beyond that as we can. And uh, we are, I believe, strengthened and blessed because of that. Now, a couple of other passages of Scripture. Um, not going to be on the overhead there. You know, you really never have to worry about going broke. Why? L listen to Proverbs 11.25. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, um, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Now, the problem is, in our, in our contemporary culture, we measure everything by the dollar figure, right? Can you imagine, though? If, if our economy goes further down the tank and we're standing in lines just to get bread, it wasn't too long ago in Russia and that, that's what people are doing, right? Perestroika, you remember that? People are standing in lines, long lines, just to get the basic necessities. But was God still providing? Absolutely. We just, we just have a, a different measuring stick of what provision looks like. 
You know, provision means I still have cable, right? I mean, you know, you can go down the list of things, right? Because we're living at a certain level. The other thing is we're a church. And as a church, we're not going to let anyone here go hungry, are we? The way some of you cook, there's no way that's going to happen, right? But that's one of the responsibilities of a church is to say, listen, we've got to care for one another. So they're struggling over there. We're going to do what we can to help. And the problem is so many times all we, we think about are dollar figures when we're talking about prosperity and blessing. But it comes in all different shapes and forms. And so what you might think is, oh, this is really down, this is really bad, may actually be God's provision for you. You've got to be willing to accept that. And listen, all of us have been, have been affected by the change in the economy, right? I could probably go into your portfolio and say, yep, you lost half. You know, how's that going for you? Are you laying up treasures in the earth or are you laying up treasures in heaven? Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a portfolio. It's a good thing. It's all part of our responsibility with our money here. But if that's where all your time and your effort is, if that's what you're consumed with, if that's where your hopes are, you know what? It doesn't take long for it to turn upside down, does it? Now, the question is, why? Why this giving? Why this pattern? On the first of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. It's not like when Paul's like, Paul's coming, Paul's coming, quickly, get together, let's put our money together. Ah, you know, and you find out there isn't as much there. <laughs> if you are setting aside systematically, you are going to be setting aside um, in, in a proportionate way so that when that actual gathering takes place and that collection takes place, there's going to be significant money. And you know what it's like. You know, when you forget about setting money aside, what happens to that money? It gets eaten up by other things. Good things, but it gets eaten up by other things. All right, so the, the point here is there's a pattern going on. There's a systematic, habitual pattern of giving. Now, like I said earlier, there are no gateway IRS agents, okay? There's no one in this church that's coming and knocking on your door that is saying, you know what, you haven't given 10% and we're taking you now to gateway jail. And none of that. This is all for your own conscience. And what I'm trying to press on you is this, is that if it's all God's, but he's entrusted it to you to be a steward, there are, there are patterns, there are principles in Scripture that he also gives you to guide you with that. And one of them is, you know what, give as I have prospered you. And I have this pattern in the Old Testament of 10%. Seriously consider that as a beginning place. And, and to do that, it means you systematically set money aside. That means as soon as, as soon as that paycheck comes in, automatically, boom, I've already set that money aside. It's already part of my practice. It's already part of my habit. And I know that, that this money now is what I have to live on. It's a discipline. It's a mental habit and structure that you put in place. Why? For the glory of God. So that... And in Paul's case, when he came, the money would be there to provide for the, the needs of the saints. And when you give that money in the offering plate, or if you go online and do it, we have those ways to do it too, you're doing that so that you can provide for the ministries of the church, provide for the opportunities of care, provide for um, you know, the financial support and strengthening of what is taking place here. Now, there's a final principle that we have in the last two verses. I'll get to them quickly here. And when I arrive... I will send those 
whom you accredit, and that's a key word there, by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Two words that really summarize what he's talking about there are integrity and accountability. Now please understand this. We want to do everything that we can as a church to make sure that any money that has come in, any money that is counted, any money that is going out is, is done by virtue of integrity and that there is accountability for it. There's no one person that's marching off with you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to go here and to go there. That we had checks and balances in place to make sure that, that money is used and it's used specifically for specific purposes for God's glory. And that there are people in leadership that are making those decisions. All right? Now, um, that's really, really important because you know what? Giving is something that is important to God. Jesus taught about it often. In fact, some say that Jesus taught about money and giving more than he taught about anything else. That's really, you know, something for us to consider. Let's just take a quick moment here and look on the back at these scenarios, all right? I just want to briefly highlight them and just, just ask you to consider them, all right? I want to press it down a little bit more, a little application here. So formal systematic grace giving, all right? So here we have a child who gets $10 a week pocket money, all right? What does that look like as far as the principles that we've established here this morning? All right? What should this child be giving? What would you as a parent be telling your child, hey, this is what you need to give? What? A dollar. Why? All right? It's 10%. All right? Now, are you, are you saying that you have to give 10% or are you saying this is the pattern that God has established, and this is really a good way to, to measure your, you know, how, how God has prospered you and to give, to give faithfully, all right? Make that distinction. 10% is a good practice, all right? So let's move to the next one. College student has a part-time job of 30 hours at $10 an hour, and for all of you college students, I had to add that up to make sure that you understood how much that would be, all right? You with me there? All right, very good. And for others, too, okay? All right, so there's $300 a week. Gross. What would, what would you say that person should be giving the beginnings? How much? Why 30? 10% of the 300, okay? Next one. Family. Mom earns 30. Dad earns 50. Then... That would be 80000 just in case you were wondering. Um, all right. So what would then, at, at the end of the year, as you, as you look at your, your statement that the church would send back to you as far as your giving, what should it be at least? Now, listen, there's, there's no gateway police coming knocking on your door saying, listen, that's what you made, and you're, you, know, you were at 7500 this is an issue of conscience before God, right? And you establish before God what you're going to do. I'm just trying to flesh out the kind of things that we're talking about. Now, some of you might be saying, well, wait a second, but, but there's taxes involved in all that. I just want to encourage you, you know, don't, don't try and fall all sorts of loopholes with your giving to God like you would with your taxes. The government's going to take out taxes, God gives you the opportunity to give back to him. Again, it's a mentality that you have, all right? Uh, um, well, the, the senior, I, I, I still think any money coming in, um, they should be 
trying as best they can to be giving faithfully according to their, their income. Quickly here, informal, impromptu grace giving. Now here's just practical things, all right? Uh, and, and I'm speaking now from my own personal experience, but I think this is, this is biblical. What we just talked about there, just salaries and all that kind of stuff, that's where your general money, that's where your general giving comes from, okay? So if you, if you are collectively making 80000 a year, then, you know, systematically you're setting money aside week after week after week. At the end of the year, boom, there's at least 8000 there. There's probably going to be more because you're giving to other things. Um, but that's, that's likely what it's going to be. Then there's this informal, impromptu grace giving. Hear what I'm saying. When you sell your house or your car, now I realize now if you were to sell your house, um, it probably would be for a loss, okay? But there used to be times when you would actually make a profit. And I just would encourage you, if you sell a house, or you sell a car, or you sell something, and you make a profit on that, what's a good habit to be in? Just say, God, you know, you prospered me with this profit. I'm going to give you at least 10%. Ugh. I mean, if I sold a house for 100000 more than I purchased it and all that kind of stuff, that's $10,000. Yeah. Have you ever had more fun than giving away $10,000? And what I'm saying is your, your standard habitual giving from your salary or whatever is what goes into the general fund. This kind of stuff, you have the freedom, in my opinion, to say, you know what, I'm going to give it to this missionary, I'm going to give it to this need, I'm going to give it to this. That's how I'm processing it. That's, how, that's what my practice has been because I don't always know those things are going to happen. But I'm giving that money to God's work in some way, shape, or form. All right. Same would be true if you get a Christmas bonus. Well, ah, that's a bonus. Yeah, it's all God's. And if it's all God's, guess what? Honor him. Right? An inheritance. Yeah, it wasn't yours. I know it was promised to you. But it's a blessing. It's all God's. All right? Honor him. Your tax return. Or oh, now we're getting muddy. Because didn't I already pay out that? And wasn't that from my income? And yeah, you still got a check in the mail. Good practice to get there. Um, you got a love gift. Someone came up to you and gave you $100. You prospered. All right? Just trying to establish the point and the principle here. Now, where this gets muddy is when you get a gift card. I mean, you're slicing off the gift card, you know, you got these, you know, there's a best, there's like a tenth of a Best Buy card in there. You add them all together as a church. And, all right, it gets, it gets muddy. All right, but the principle and the heart is what God is concerned about. You get this? He doesn't, he's not concerned about whittling down. I just want to give a tenth. I don't want to give any more than a tenth. I just want to give a tenth. So give me that, that final figure so I can just give a tenth. We gave too much. No. no, but it's the heart. God, this is yours. There's a pattern. So we're going to give. And we're going to give and we're going to trust you. And I know there's bills and I know there's needs and I know there's all sorts of things, but there's this habit, there's this established pattern and God desires for us to be faithful stewards of that and I would just encourage you to really ponder these things and, and talk about them with your spouse talk about them maybe amongst yourselves and and you know you may disagree and I would just ask you make sure that what you're doing is rooted in God's truth and that you're fleshing out his principles in your lives all right now um, we're gonna we're gonna pause now and just together um, rejoice over another stewardship, and that is the stewardship of the cross, the stewardship of the gospel. And that is 
what Jesus did for us on that cross. God in his, in his economy desired to send his son and he went to that cross and get this, what he accomplished on that cross was completely and totally sufficient to provide for the needs of man, man's need for salvation. God is a wonderful example of faithful stewardship of the resources that he has established. He doesn't waste it. He accomplishes his purposes through his son Jesus, and we're going to rejoice together as we celebrate this Lord's table.